attached. Oh, okay. We here it is. We are recording for making a magi. Bias from the First Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. So let's get some of that precious room tone. And we are live in three, two. up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today, because oh. today, yes, right, we are talking <laughs> about the First Law series, and we are spotlighting a very particular character in that series, and that is Baez. Uh, before we get into it, I think it's important to say that there are lots of spoilers ahead. Right. So, Dylan, if you want to give your cursory spoiler warning. It's not just cursory. I take it very, very serious. And there will be spoilers all the way through the original First Law trilogy. That means that takes us up through Last Argument of Kings in this episode. And if you have not yet read the First Law series, then <laughs> you've got two of the biggest fans maybe out there. And me and Charles, who will tell you it's a good time to check that series out. And then you can always come back here. Uh, but if you haven't read it yet, this is probably a really good time to turn this down in your headphones. Very, You've been warned. Yes. Very well said, Dylan. You have been warned. And with that, we can finally transition into talking about Baez, first of the Magi himself, in full, from the beginning of uh, the Blade itself, all the way through the last argument of Kings. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to do this, Charles. But do we do we have someone else here on the show right yes! now? Yes. Huh? Baez, is that you? Yes! <laughs> Welcome, Baez, to the show here. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. This is great news. The first of the Magi in the house. <laughs> first of the Magi himself. We can't I wait to talk to him. I am greater than Juvens. Okay, Baez, oh. we get it. <laughs> I am greater than Aeos himself. We'll get there, Baez. We'll get there. <laughs> we can't rush. In due time. <laughs> in due time time because there's so 
much awesome stuff going on with Baez that we just simply could not talk about during our buddy reads of the first two books because they were such huge spoilers. And you got to respect the spoiler warning for anyone that's reading along with the series. You have to. And you also have to respect the great Stephen Pacey, who is an unbelievably, yes, right, (laughs) an unbelievably talented audiobook narrator. And that's where we isolated this. I am greater than Juvens. <laughs> right. I would go so far as to say that Stephen Pacey is greater than Aos himself. Whoa. <laughs> I would agree, man. These are some of the best audiobooks in the game for fantasy fans. And like those lines, I'm greater than Chufins. Like that was an earworm in my brain. And I, I just love shouting out, <laughs> I am greater than Juvens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean the first time i i read through this i did not read the audiobooks at all and then since that i think my second read was the first time that i think i might have done all audiobook on my second read and it's an entirely different experience <laughs> doing it that way because stephen pacey just gives such a special voice to each one of these characters and just you'd think that it'd be impossible to breathe further life into the first law characters than Joe Abercrombie already has done but Pacey finds a way to add this whole extra element and I mean if you've read through these books and you haven't checked out the audiobooks I cannot tell you how much I recommend listening to Stephen Basing narrate this. But uh, now you're stuck with me and Charles who have way less awesome voices than <laughs> does Stephen Pacey. And you're listening to us talking about Baez, the first of the Magi himself. And, and we've got a few discussion topics that we want to delve into, right, Charles? That's right. So the way, we're going to go through Baez, through the whole trilogy, under this frame of how... Like these moments where Baez has revealed his true nature, right? Like Baez, by the end of Last Argument of Kings, has revealed himself to be almost like this callous, cold, manipulative force of nature. And we're trying to go through these moments that happened in Blade itself and before they're hanged that kind of um, hint at that and reveal his true nature. And we also just want to talk about how Baez has subverted this um, Magi role, this mentor role throughout the first law because Abercrombie is deliberate in his, I'm going to say the S word again, subversion of... Keep it clean though, Charles. (laughs) Not that S word. (laughs) Not the the one in fantasy that, um, (laughs) that we have to get through. So that is the goal that we have set out for us here today and let us not delay any longer let us begin where we first meet Baez. we have logan nine fingers the great logan nine fingers meets Baez at Baez's library and the first time we see Baez, you know he's not what we pictured you know, logan meets a bunch of people who are like dressed in robes with long flowy <laughs> white beards and logan's like oh you must be um the magi himself and they're like what no i'm the i'm the librarian like like Baez is outside and you find him he's dressed as a butcher he's wearing the butcher's apron he's got his sleeves rolled up and he's covered in blood 
Right. And as you seem to be implying there, Charles, the fact that Baez starts the book or starts his appearance in the book covered in blood might be a little bit of foreshadowing that he'll end the book or at least the series, uh, better said, he'll end the series covered in way more figurative blood because he'll be responsible for just countless metaphorically rolled his sleeves up and got blood all over his hands big time right and i mean it's kind of an introduction that is most similar to i would say tywin of any, at least in the oh, Game yeah. of Thrones show. That's right, because like, he that's was what butchering the most like of. a lion or a stag or something like that. And a stag, yeah, I believe. Yeah, that was a great yeah, so, scene as well in, right. the, in the show. But yeah, it's that idea of, you know, these guys are not afraid to get their hands dirty. And mm-hmm. um, it was perhaps we should have been more clued into that the first time around with Baez than maybe we were. Yeah. Because you're, it's under the frame of, oh, we're meeting the we're meeting the wizard, you know, it's like we're meeting this all wise, all knowing guy. And we know from reading books like Lord of the Rings, like, you know, where the wizard is generally a nice person, a helpful person. And Logan is going to him for help, you know, so it it, it fits all those tropes nicely. But Abercrombie has always given us these signs, even from the very first scene with Baez, that there might be something else going on with this guy. Yeah, and Charles, we also get this moment where Logan is speaking to the spirits, Mm -hmm. and that's basically how he learns, I think, at first that Baez is looking for him, Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, yeah, but watch out. Those magi have their own purposes, and we've kind of heard that before in other fantasy novels, so, you know, if if you've read a lot of fantasy, you've probably heard something like that about, I won't say which... uh, which series do or don't say that, but you've probably heard that before. And maybe you've had experiences that that didn't actually play out to be a warning you should have heeded. So you can dismiss those warnings that made you have their own purposes as, Oh yeah, no, whatever. And then (laughs) you start thinking back to that when you're rereading. That was not a strong enough warning spirit. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, the spirit, for yeah those spirits don't care about what's going on with people they probably didn't really know what Baez really had intended but just kind of knew like hey this isn't just some like all loving person there's a person who had or person might be generous for Baez this is a magi who has his own intentions and you're probably just going to play a role in those he's not just out there to be pro-social that's right and Baez is also not afraid to play certain roles himself because as we, you know, in the first time nice Baez tech. and Lo, thank you very much. Baez and Logan are going to address the closed council in Adjua for the first time. They make a quick pit stop to the costume department and are like, we're putting on this play. I need a barbarian outfit and I need a wizard outfit. And that's how they get dressed up to appear in front of the closed council because Baez is like sociopathic. He knows he needs to be what they need him. Like they, he knows the closed council needs to see him as a wizard and he doesn't care what they see him as, as long as they obey. So he's getting all dressed up. He's putting Logan in these clothes and Logan's like, these clothes are very impractical and uncomfortable (laughs) because they're, you know, like leather jerkins with like 
fuzzy stuff around the edges, you know, like a stereotypical (laughs) barbarian costume. And I thought that was also a really funny telling uh, thing from Abercrombie where it's like, oh, put him in the wizard clothes, you know, like that's kind of the joke. Like, oh, put him in the robes and like put Logan in the leather jerkin and, and, and let's see, like. Let's do a little song and dance for the for the public, right? Right. And I've always taken it, after reading a few times now, I've always taken it more as, the, like, the public is us, Charles. Yes. This is what Abercrombie is doing <laughs> yes. to us, the yes. readers, is he's putting this person in a position where we see him as, oh, it's the wizard. I can easily slot them into what I expect. And this, uh, we, we parallel the folks at the closed council who potentially fall for Baez is like, yeah. uh, look, I'm the wizard. Baez is like, this is going to be important to them, so I may as well do it. And then we're like, <laughs> it's kind of, a, it was important to us too, but I guess like that's what <laughs> that's what Abercrombie's trying to tell us. He's like, is this what you want? Like, <laughs> are you happy now? He's in the wizard clothes. So like a sense of humor uh, coming through for Abercrombie as always in, in, in those moments. Um, and then, you know, you have the telling line where no one believes he's really Baez and people are reluctant. At, no one even acknowledges that Baez might even be a person that exists. And they drop that. He drops that line like Baez drops this line. I gave them freedom and this is the thanks I get, which is very mild for what we know Baez says in the <laughs> end of Last Argument of Kings. But it's the beginning of this attitude that Baez has about human beings. Right. Well, uh, I've liked to say, and I've said many times on the show before, that Baez thinks of people as cattle on a good day and ants on a bad day. And he's very quickly showing these signs that he views them as like basically ungrateful creatures that (laughs) Baez has given everything that they like has given them everything that they have and they have such short lifespans that if he gets tucked away in his library for what feels to him like not too long everyone forgets about him and it's like aggravating to him is what we get the sense of he's expecting to be welcomed back and praised and all these things and he's also shown it's under the guise of oh he has a short temper like he's getting frustrated quickly because that's just his character quirk but it Mm -hmm. belies this larger issue of that he's his huge superiority complex here that's beginning to show its its true colors Yes, that's well said, Charles. Um, the only other thing of note in this book, really, for Baez, is that he cheats during the um, the blade tournament, the sword tournament, and uh, to help Chazal win. And we get that line, you know, never bet against the Magi, as in, like, you know, Baez is someone who is capable of cheating for his own purposes, and he doesn't, you know, that's just, like, second nature to him in in this moment. He's like, yeah, of course I did, and it was easy, and it was fine. Like, who cares? <laughs> right. And we've said before that Glockta is the character that seems most aware of the kind of book that he's in. Yeah. <laughs> like, just his perspective 100%. on things. And he's the only one here who actually takes note of, like, something is up with this magi and he definitely cheated at this tournament and is buys it i mean glockta is super suspicious of Baez 
basically throughout. So he's right. a character that maybe we should have been paying a little bit more attention to the way he sees Baez. For sure. And I think the only thing holding Galacta back from really getting Baez's number is that he was having a hard time even believing in magic at this point. Yes. So he's like, it looks like something's going on, but magic's not real. So there's nothing he could be doing right now, but I'm still suspicious. And that was kind of what he was juggling which gets us to, you know, the House of the Maker, where, you know, Archlector Salt and Glockta have this plot to be like, oh, if you're really Baez, open the House of the Maker. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and so he opens it. Well, he's like, yes! <laughs> he's like, yes! So open it! <laughs> and he opens it, and they remove, Logan removes the heavy box, and Baez forms the Fellowship of the Seed. And the last, like, telling thing for me in this is when Baez is convincing Pharaoh to come along and you know I, I like to think like oh remember when Gandalf convinced Bilbo to come along in the Hobbit it's like oh it's a great sense of adventure and I need someone who's like stout and pure of heart but then with Baez <laughs> he's like you want revenge don't you you want to kill them all don't you like come with me on adventure and, and I'll show you how to kill everyone you hate and she's like okay <laughs> so not quite the same uh, reasoning there but is very very telling well said, Charles. And I think the the other thing that sticks out to me about these moments with Pharaoh is Pharaoh, I'd say even more than Glockta, more than anyone, has Baez's number from 100%. the start. Like, we think that Pharaoh has this very distorted perspective on everything, and, and we're not wrong uh, for the most part there. Like, she's got this super cynical view and she doesn't trust anyone, but th she immediately latches on to Baez as the least trustworthy of the entire group that she's with. Like, she looks at Logan, she's like, okay, he's threatening and big and stuff, but if I had to kill anyone here, it'd be this, like, bald dude, because right. I just there's something about him and i don't know pharaoh yeah i mean she even gets a that... shot in on bias at some point oh yes and, and yes and breaks his nose but yeah you got it like this is what i appreciated more in my second read through was uh with pharaoh was you know she yeah she was in tune to everybody right and she pegged bias right away and i think it's more so in the second book but for me what sticks out in the blade itself was just this idea of Baez being like come with me and I'll give you revenge and you can kill Kalul and all of his followers you know not the exact premise that we get in other fantasy books which is normally a call for adventure not so much right. a call for blood um, yeah. which is a great distinction that Abercrombie made for Baez at the end of uh, blade itself Right, and and the punch is in Blade itself, Charles. It's in uh, Each Man Worships Himself is the chapter. So that's, uh, oh. you know, Pharaoh's right at, <laughs> right at the start, literally punching oh, great. Baez, which is more like <laughs> when you Pops step there. back at the <laughs> end of the first Lost series and you look back and you're like, oh my God, she, she legit punched him. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is wacky to consider a just a, I mean, Pharaoh's more than a person. Pharaoh's got all sorts of other stuff going oh, yeah. on. Because there's Devil's the whole thing where stuff, he, but... he was like testing her, but not telling her what was going on and tricking her with the and stuff like that about being colorblind. That was all in the first book, right? So she's getting super frustrated yeah. with all of that. She's like, this guy's scheming and like 
I trust him least of all, kind of, you know. So yeah, he had yeah. She had his number big time. Um, yeah, good on Pharaoh. Good on Pharaoh. You know, we we should talk more. We should give Pharaoh more more due. I think in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I she agree. might get one of these. Who knows? <laughs> one of these characters. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned for our Pharaoh discussion. Um, so that brings us into before they're hanged and the fellowship of the seed, as we like to call it, is underway. I, I just realized I said it like a bunch of times. I don't think I explained it, but that's what we call <laughs> that group that goes with Baez on the quest for the seed. You know, it's our, our play on the fellowship of the ring, if that wasn't obvious. Um, then we got Pharaoh pressing Baez for information and the cracks are starting to show a little bit in Baez's behavior and his mm. stories he's getting frustrated he's refusing to give all of his details he's basically like look this is how you're going to get revenge against the gurkish trust me and pharaoh went on this whole thing about trust is like trust is only a word that dishonest people need to use you know i think that's kind mm. of around these times right and um you know that that has that was a rule that came in handy for her a hundred percent of the time in this series I, <laughs> basically I basically in an yeah. abercrombie book yeah Again, that cynical view it tends to be a little more accurate than maybe it is in real life. And I think it's the, the other thing I was just thinking about, Charles. I know this is going back a little bit, but bias just blows people up. <laughs> like, yes, just oh, makes yeah, people true. explode. And, and I guess, like, blood. when we're thinking about, <laughs> I've maybe lamented in the past, I think I did in our, our Wilf Time episode, I lamented the fact that Gandalf basically, like, doesn't ever do anything with his power like he does and i'm sorry if i'm uh, <laughs> he does I'm some important feelings. stuff yeah <laughs> but, but i get what you're no, saying you get what i'm saying he's not as he proactive kinda... as he could potentially be with someone who was that powerful right like he's not like launching like thunderbolts and fireballs and things like that as they're going through their day-to-day questing in the Lord of the Rings. But Bias will just go around like someone is getting his way. He needs to send a message. He's like, I'll I'll just explode this person. (laughs) And I don't know. Somehow we the imagery of that's great too, right? Because he was out of the, he was frustrated that they interrupted his bath and he he like got out of the bath. He's like still all sudsy and (laughs) describing his body it's so fun Grumby's description of this scene is so great where like all this action is going on and and bias just is in the threshold and he's like what is this and he just turns someone into a a mist of blood and it like horrifies jazal for all of eternity it's basically (laughs) what keeps jazal in line through the whole next book is that whenever he's thinking like why am i listening to this guy he'll get ptsd from this moment when this dude just exploded into a bloody mist and then he's like oh yeah i'm actually terrified of this guy i forgot (laughs) it's interesting i've always been interested by the way that bias chooses to control the different people in the book like he has this very master-minded way of controlling glockta where he's like i'm gonna let you in to understand everything behind the scenes because if you you have the capability to understand everything i'm doing Mm -hmm. and i'm going to reveal it so you know not to mess with me (laughs) and at just a sincerely deep level and he also i mean we'll get to this but he enjoys 
letting Glockta <laughs> in on it because he's like, this guy can appreciate the things I've been doing. Yeah. But then with Giselle, the way he controls Giselle is at this very base level of like, I will cause you pain. Oh, yeah. Like, you've seen You're me talking cause about other him people seeing pain. People I will like cause cattle you pain. on a good day. He basically sees Giselle as cattle. And yes. he's like, he doesn't have an independent thought in his body it's just like you gotta just keep pulling him along by the reins gotta keep lecturing him he'll, right he'll, like you know he doesn't need to know why because <laughs> it doesn't matter if he understands or not he, i just need him to do it you know like i'll just start talking he'll pick it up you know I, and when i'm ready i'll put him into the spotlight you know it's so right it's so funny how he does that and he's like oh just oh you're, you're coming with us on this quest don't worry about it i've arranged the whole thing and just like yeah uh okay <laughs> and just all i mean when he's out of line it's the way to deal with it for bias is like oh just make his stomach hurt preposterously <laughs> much until he's like i don't want my stomach to ever hurt again <laughs> and that's like what keeps Giselle under bias's thumb is just like this fear of the very base pain like superficial level pain i don't think he grasps everything bias is doing behind the the scenes here in this making a mage. Do we say the name of the ep- episode? Do we, we explain the? Um, it's like I'm making a. a I, I I think we're getting there, but yeah, we you know making a magi right. It's this idea that <laughs> you know it's a play on making a murderer. Okay, where we're just trying to figure out like how did this reveal that Baez is who he is slowly kind of play out across the whole trilogy. And in these moments, in the Fellowship of the Seed, the way he interacts with everyone individually is, like, very manipulative, very telling. And the fact that, you know, at the end of Blade itself, when his bath got interrupted, and that's what frustrated him and caused this person to explode. You know, he's proven to be a very petty guy and have a pretty pretty big anger issue. So it's like, oh, you're getting in the middle of my plans and my bath time? Um bye-bye <laughs> enjoy being a bloody mist so very very telling there um we have Baez lecturing Giselle we talked all about that what we don't understand in these moments because we don't know Baez's true plans he is lecturing Giselle to like take the throne like he's this has been the long plan for Baez of like oh this is just one of those seeds that's you know taken fruit for me and i'm just gonna keep watering it and and like eventually i'll be ready to to cultivate it you know so for bias charles with the seed drop (laughs) thank you you like that (laughs) yeah you know uh that's just the kind of quality content you can expect on friends talking fantasy podcast at the ftf podcast one on twitter um (laughs) you probably can't expect anything charles says to show up on the fdf podcast one on twitter because it's almost definitely gonna be me <laughs> yeah but it's the same caliber of, of content oh there. charles um, calling me the same caliber as you, <laughs> with i <laughs> i know that's a high compliment for me <laughs> yeah 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 we we know who's pulling the strings here <laughs> <laughs> people uh, like to watch the pretty puppets so. that's right <laughs> And Giselle's just one of those pretty puppets. And, mm. you know, that was a great that was a great reveal in book three that Baez has been prepping Giselle and, like, through force alone has concocted this whole scheme. And it's all kind of starting here 
with Baez giving these lectures. Yes. Um, as the story continues, Baez uses his powers to just kill lots of people, and it's kind of telling in his reckless use of like touching the other side and using magic. Like he wasn't afraid to just like when he got annoyed, and that's the key thing here. He was getting angry when all those riders were attacking, and he just loses control and sends everyone flying and kills a bunch of people and it leaves him unconscious and you know Kwai explains that using the art is always a risk and Baez just recklessly <laughs> took that risk which is again telling for how Baez sees using magic as a means to an end <laughs> in the future <laughs> yes and, and speaking of means to ends we've got on on the Giselle topic something that I I want to sure. bring up is there's this moment that Bias sees Giselle's new wounded face and he just says to him yes all in all I think it will serve that's in before they're hanged yeah. too and that's this moment and you know we're in Giselle's perspective which is right where Abercrombie goes when he needs someone to be completely clueless about things uh and Giselle's just like what like what is he talking about but it's this very clear hint that like when Baez is looking at Giselle's wounds as a like member of his fellowship of the seed he's not thinking about like oh is this person okay how did this affect them psychologically he's like oh well I I think I can still market this person as a king they'll just have to be a little bit more of like this warrior king image so he's like yeah i think it'll do no worries right exactly he again he's kind of looking at his prized cow you know it's like oh can is is this still can i still bring this to market like what's the steer the story here and he's like yes yes i still think i can and that's something he's never shown kind of any kind of regard for human life at any point no. and you you figure out to the extent he doesn't care later on but um we like what was also interesting in before they're hanged is we do start to like put pressure on bias to tell the real story of Kanil and all that people are like this stuff doesn't add up what's the real story and bias you is- mean ptolemy oh yeah ptolemy hello because there's Kanil and zacharis who are both talking at different points are talking with Baez and they're like, you know, we can join forces. We can do all these other things. And Baez is like, no, I've, I've got a plan. And then they're also like, you know, no one really knows what happens back back knew what happened back then. And he's like, I knew what happened. I was there and it was fine. <laughs> so let's just keep, do you have what I need or not is basically how Baez's conversations went with both of them. You know, he's, they're just tools. Yeah, I mean, that's basically how he he views everyone. I mean, the Ptolemy thing is is interesting, Charles. I think that it's this it's this one thing that we hold on to that humanizes Baez because yes. we can tell that he is very secretive about Ptolemy, but we perceive it as he's secretive about it because he's like embarrassed that he the first of the magi was so in love with someone and he failed and it went awry and it's kind of pieced out to us across this time and we do get i think the full like bias 
narrative of the story in Before They Are Hanged, which right. is a very different one from so the reality. Well because it's all under the context of Logan being like, we need to become friendly if we're going yeah. to survive and so Baez is telling these stories at the campfire he's showing some like vulnerability for the yes. first time by talking about Ptolemy and it's so that the whole thing's a very likely a fabrication to get yeah, people well, off his back key details <laughs> of it are altered such as Canadius uh, killing his own daughter instead of Baez killing both of them and <laughs> Baez even being in love with her in the first place, up for debate. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know which one would make it worse, Charles, if he (laughs) was in love with her and was still willing to kill her because it fit his plans, or if he was never in love with her in the first place, I guess maybe the former, but all of it is this just horrible Machiavellianism. We've mentioned that word before on the podcast, but I think that Baez is the king of Machiavellianism of any first of the Machiavellianists, if we yeah, will. As long as it suits himself. <laughs> right. So it's it's unbelievable. The Ptolemy thing is it's so interesting how Abercrombie makes us think he's being secretive and makes us think then he's being vulnerable and revealing stuff. When the whole thing is just part of his greater narrative And I mean, that's how he's able to pull the rug out from under us so much when kind of like the last straw for any humanity in Baez is when it's revealed later on in in the last argument of Kings that he not only did he not like try to save her, he he literally killed her and terrible. Right. And it's it's such an amazing reveal and. It's still only like hinted at, and we're all the way done with before they're hanged, you know. But Baez discovers that the seed was a trick by Canadius to keep the power for himself, and Baez gets really mad and declares the journey a failure, which is a whole mm. conversation in its own right that we might have in the not too distant future. Oh. <laughs> Another teaser, <laughs> Charles. Yeah. Can I drop my Connell quote that you yes. know I love? <laughs> so when they meet up with Connell, who's one of the other magi, and we know that she has all of these understandings at a deeper level than most of the characters we meet of who Baez is, uh, she's referring to now like the time of Juvens, who was basically the Gandalf figure from what we can gather of the world, and Canadius is over. Canadius is the master maker. Mm-hmm. And then they're dead, and we're on to this kind of feud between Kalul, who is kind of doing the bias thing but for the Gurkish instead of the union mm-hmm. um and Kalul is feuding with bias and Connell describes them as smaller men in a bigger world but with no less hatred and no more mercy <laughs> and I think that that is another moment that somehow we overlook like we're we're being told by this character who obviously yes. knows a lot more about bias but I think we kind of overlook it because it's ra- roped into this whole, like, Connell is placed as this, like, spurned lover of both Yeah, Cole and she's a bit eccentric, Baez. you know, off on the yeah. edge of the world, eating, like, weird old rotted food in a dusty house. You know, like, mm-hmm. she's painted as being someone who may not be all together there, kind of, was kind of right. how I got it. I was like, oh, she's so far off on the edges of the world 
that maybe what she's even saying could be in that you know like scorned lover ex- eccentric category but she's she knows more than anybody and she's smart enough to be on the edge of the world away from them it's the the reality that was such a true statement and it's and you know one of the questions that we asked ourselves for this episode is is Baez worse than Kalul because Baez this whole time is pushing this narrative that Kalul is bad and the Gurkish are bad and they eat people and they break the second law and they, you know, they do all these horrible things. Look how evil they are. And it's revealed to be insanely hypocritical of Baez to do all that stuff. But he's pushing that narrative because that's what he needs people to believe to work on his side. And you kind of see that in the second book where it's like, we need to stop Kalul. They're marching on the Union. How could they? They're so horrible. They eat people. They break the first and second. They break the second law of magic and they're just horrible. And it's just to fit his narrative. He doesn't believe any of that. And we have some great quotes that <laughs> kind of go into that as we get through well, Last Argument of Kings. Right. And I mean, on this topic, I guess, are we going to flesh out the whole like... Uh, is Baez worse than Kalul more later, Charles? Is that the Yeah, the I think plan, when or? we get through Last Argument of Kings and reveal some of these moments in which he really shows his true colors, then you can ask the question like, who's worse or are they just the same on different sides? You know, there's no... Gotcha. Like, like that's what I'm thinking, you know, because a lot so of stuff then, happens in Last Argument of Kings. Okay, then the last bit I'll talk about before they're hanged around uh, Baez and how this this magi might have been made is <laughs> we we get this interrogation from Glockta on an eater and that's when they're in uh, Dagaska yes and the eater refers to oh. Baez as liar and traitor he killed his master he murdered Juvens literally yes. that's said in before they're hanged yes. that's a quote and then Glockta says, that is not the way I heard the story. And again, it's like, it's delivered straightforward to us. <laughs> what more can Joe Abercrombie do than tell you he exactly what Baez did, which is he's a liar and traitor and he did kill his master Juvens. And we're like, oh, you know, like, of course, that's the narrative that <laughs> this eater enemy. believes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, and they were indoctrinated to know. believe these got... lies. But it's like, well, yes. like that's the interesting twist. The, those lies are true. And this whole buildup that the Gurkish are the enemy and Juvens is the enemy is just another one Very of Baez's... Kalul. Oh, Kalul is the enemy is just another one of Baez's many manipulative tactics. It's, exactly. It's insane how amazingly manipulative bias is um and some of the best examples are in the last argument of kings the so right away the story starts with bias like the the fellowship of the seed is disbanded but bias keeps jazal close by and all for the sake of pulling jazal in even more against Logan Ninefinger's advice, against Chazal's own kind of intuition to take on a leadership role in dealing with the Tanner, which was just something totally fabricated by Baez to 
basically fluff up Giselle's resume so that <laughs> by the time they were able to vote on uh, a new king, because of course, oh, Giselle's being welcomed by the king, and then the king immediately right then and there drops dead very conveniently. <laughs> and uh, Giselle's elected king thanks to Baez's um, interruption. You know, weaving this whole tale that he is the bastard son of the king and the rightful heir and he's done all these heroic deeds. How could you not vote for him? And like he's giving him these opportunities, like spreading the word throughout the populace, like, oh, Giselle, right. like save this innocent person and stop these robbers. <laughs> and like, all, and so like his legend is just so rapidly builds up to this huge thing where he's unanimously, unanimously voted into king, which is such a well fun twist. Yeah. Exactly, Charles. And he has these moments where Jazal kind of ends up helping. Uh, I think it's a woman who's uh, begging for change and she's getting bullied by a guard or something like that. And Jazal ends up helping her kind of by bias, reverse psychologying him. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, yeah, well, like, are you going to do something about it? It's like that kind of bit. And uh, this, right after he does. People are like, who is this guy? And Baez calls out to everyone. He's like, it is Giselle Dan Luther, the winner of the contest. <laughs> and then it's like all these moments, Baez, it's like we can take them at surface level the first time we're reading as this like, oh, like he's – Helping Jazal build his name. What a nice grandfatherly figure. Right. And now it's so clear in retrospect that all of this was just part of his giant Machiavellian plan, like it always is. Very well said. And Jazal's clueless the whole time. Again, he's <laughs> like the cattle, basically being slowly like suggested forwards you know into the slaughterhouse basically it's like come on just all like come over here like aren't you gonna help this person out like what are you gonna do here <laughs> and like okay let me help you win the contest all all these little movements little influences Baez has had in the background of Giselle's life have kind of paid off in this moment when Giselle is elected king and Baez is happy because now he's got his little um puppet king on the throne which is yeah awesome what could make bias happier than that nothing and it was and it's so funny to see as this plays out like bias finds Giselle's like newfound compassion to be kind of quirky and fun to an <laughs> to an extent and then it starts to get frustrating and where it's yeah. like i need you to have a little bit of that because i need people to think you're that way but you can't actually be going against what I want to do. <laughs> like, that's the yes. <laughs> and he's been saying that, actually. To There's a chapter where Jazal's kind of in his head thinking about Artie, I think. And hmm. the Jazal point of view of the whole thing is like, and the Magi kept uh, just going on and on and blathering about Harrod the Great. And what's happening during that, we're focused on Jazal and Artie and all this kind of stuff because we're invested in that. But when Baez is talking, he's basically like, you have to have the appearance of being someone who promotes this, I think is in Before They're Hanged, but you have to have the appearance of being someone who is like 
a champion of the people. He's like Herod the Great. I think it's Herod the Great that he was referring to. Is was always like had the appearance of being champion of people. And there's a moment where Giselle kind of comes out of his reverie, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like, like I'm listening. I, uh, you have to be a champion of the people." And Bias corrects him and says, "Like, no, you have to appear like you are." And it's not the focus of that chapter, but it, it's another thing that. That's seems. a really important distinction, especially yeah. when talking about Baez's character. It's like you need to look like you're doing one thing and then pursue your best interests like in actuality. And Baez so masterfully has had those two personas, right? This making a mad shy. It's like, oh, he always seems right. so nice. Who would have ever thought that he'd be wringing my guts out on the floor and I'm writhing in pain as he's telling me that like that he basically owns my life now you know it's, it's like crazy how we got there and poor Giselle never ever was suspicious it took him like writhing on the floor in pain to like get the whole picture because Giselle's oh, like i am king and you cannot boss me around by as i'm king and he's like dude who do you think made you king what authority do you think you have it's right. such a good great 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 moment um and it's what makes Giselle so tragic um, so where are we with the uh, good old last argument of kings? I guess the Gurkish bombardment begins, right? Mm. Like Baez meets with Mamun, who is speaking on behalf of Kalul, and Baez is like, they quarrel, and it's you realize that they're quarreling over this just a centuries-old conflict, and this is what Baez lives for, is just his conflict <laughs> with Kalul, so you know he's not backing down, and that becomes apparent in these moments. It's it, You really get to see how, like we were talking about, how petty Baez can really yes. get about his conflicts with Kalul. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get, when we do our, we get to his moment where he's greater than Aos himself. Yeah. I think we'll we'll flesh it out even more. But that's always struck me. And that's why that Corneal quote I love so much, because it emphasizes that bias is ridiculously petty. <laughs> like he's this thousands or whatever year old magi that has seen so much, all these kind of things. But the things that motivate him are the are things that are pettier than the motivations of I think even just like a typical person who lives a like typical lifespan. It's like <laughs> these ridiculous like rivalries. He wants to be better than Kalul for sure, but he's also like so petty that his mentor Juvens he like needs to be better than. Yeah. And it's all about that. And so like yes, it's about power, but it's also about being yeah. more powerful than other people and Juvens has been dead for like a thousand years yeah. so it's like why it's like let it go yeah. let it go but he just can he's been preparing <laughs> for this moment okay. for so long and you have you know you have his fight with the Gurkish and Baez has been plotting this way to become more powerful than Juvens as we're building up to <laughs> and they go to the house of the maker because they're like, we'll just get some weapons to fight the Gurkish. And so Yolwe, um was there, and Pharaoh was there, and that's <laughs> that's when Pharaoh discovers the seed and Ptolemy is revealed. But what sticks out to me in these moments is Baez sees the seed and is like, okay, 
we need to leave and it's like oh look it's um it's tolame she was here the whole time and he's like yeah 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 get the seed and we need to yeah. go and then they're running out and you know tolame's like oh you killed me and he denies it which is another great thing and then flip poor poor yolwe he's like oh, oh I- i'll hold him off and buys is like okay bye <laughs> and steals it oh which well, is like I you think know he's not pharaoh's like pharaoh's like we got to help him and Baez like, says, "We've done all we can like, do." Like, I'll go back. He no, he st- he literally when they're in there, Charles, he says, "I'll go back for him." And <laughs> he does not. <laughs> no, if, it's he, like that's Baez. It's just like in the moment, it's like literally, it would be, it would be too noble of Baez to say, "Like, no, we're doing all we can do." Like, he's making a sacrifice. It's really like the thing that will get me what I want right now is to tell Pharaoh that I'll go back for him, and that has never crossed Baez's mind as a legitimate <laughs> possibility. No, never. It's just that's going to get him what he wants in that immediate <laughs> moment. So he says that. And I love how it precedes your way being like Baez. I'm asking you one more time, like what really happened with uh with um with uh Ptolemy. Ptolemy. and he's like what i told you happened is what happened it was so long ago now it doesn't even matter like let's not ask <laughs> right. too many questions and then Ptolemy just straight up you know reveals the truth and well, i just picture Baez like his second motive for keeping Yolway trapped in there is to tie up that loose end well yes and t- i think Yolway already had some serious suspicions, but where he... So Yolwe says to Baez, like, I know it's been a really long time, but I seem to remember (laughs) that it was the Master Maker who fell off first. Like, I was looking at you from down below, and it was the Master Maker that hit the ground first, and then Ptolemy second. So your story about... (laughs) Like, the Master Maker threw his daughter down, and in then my... I struck him down in vengeance in my of my beloved. Theory. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, that's not the order of operations I was yeah. seeing here, Baez. But he still, that's the interesting thing I always thought about Yolai, is like, he kind of does trust Baez as the, like, first of Magi. Right. Doesn't believe his own eyes, and that's his downfall. Right. He was willing to believe Baez. Baez. And, you know, Baez is the first of the Magi. There's the order of these things. Like, Baez has to be good. Right. Um, you know, um, you have Kalul eating people, which you know is bad. Right. And, like, that's kind of what's kept Yolwe, like, in league with Baez. And I think Baez always kind of had Yolwe's number <laughs> in a ways where it's like, stop asking me that. It's not important. Who cares? And then now that Ptolemy makes an appearance, it's just another one of those things where it's like, oh, we did everything that we can for him, but uh, his sacrifice won't be in vain. <laughs> he closes the door on him, oh you know, God. which is so cold. Someone you've known for it's thousands brutal. of years. Uh, yeah. And you didn't even think twice about it. Which is so yeah. so great, and that brings us to the score As of Marshall. The genius of Joe Abercrombie's character. Oh, genius, writing, genius! And I love, like you said, balancing out like how manipulative he is, and like how like long and scheming he is, and how powerful he is with how petty he is. Because <laughs> it's like, of yeah. course, someone it's... that lives for thousands of years is just going to be so obsessed with their own petty things because everything else loses meaning. <laughs> 
I guess I, but there's like the other side of it where <laughs> you'd it's think like you'd let that go it could <laughs> go the way of Gandalf, right? It could go the way of Gandalf, where it's like you are like your own trifling like relationship stuff and that kind of nonsense is like forget all that i'm like i've had all this time to self-actualize and now i'm like so pro-social i just want to make sure the world goes well because like these things last over generations and we like to think that as people if we had thousands of years we would get past all this petty nonsense and we get to see these people like gandalf who represent that and maybe juvens did too but where Abercrombie goes a different way with bias is like, well, even if those people did exist, even if Juvens was like Gandalf, they would be destroyed by the person to come along who is petty and is power seeking and is willing to do the thing that will destroy the more pro-social beneficent folks like a Gandalf type. Very well said. And you know, when Gandalf is using his most epic powers, he's never, t- <laughs> he's doing it <laughs> as like, he's kind of like this angel figure, right? Whereas yes. Bias, we know when we get teleported to uh, the Square of Marshals, where he finally has this, the real seed. And then he prepares this whole thing where he's combining the powers of the seed and the master maker and Juvens to create this like intense power that's channeling basically all three (laughs) schools of magic. Yes. And he just unleashes that on the eaters. And even well after they're gone, he continues to (laughs) unleash them in what is perhaps the greatest (laughs) voiceover performance ever in the history of audiobooks, (laughs) where we get this, this very classic line. I am greater than Juvens. And then the classic line. I am greater than Aeos himself. (laughs) Which is like, that to me is like the pinnacle moment of Baez being like, yes, this is what I live for, killing everybody as a way of being more powerful than Juvens. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, this is the defining moment for Baez for me, too, is because Yes, it's all about power with him. We know uh, there's that great quote where he talks about what his first law is. Oh, that's a great line. Things like that. But that comes after this moment. Yeah. So he... We know he cares about power. We know he seeks that. We've kind of known that to this point, but this is what defines him as that petty person for me more than anything, where it's like, dude, it's not just been about power it's not just been about controlling the workings of the universe it's about being this jealous small person (laughs) who wants to be better than your master who wants to be better than the people who've come before you and wants to like prove that to everyone and show everyone and show (laughs) it's like and, and we get these later moments where it's like he he's basically talking to I can't. Do you remember who he's talking to when he's basically saying like, "I combined all three. I like I'm great. Like, okay, yeah. It's like she can't understand. And basically, Kalul. He knows that Kalul could understand, but he's like, I'm not going to be able to get 
the recognition from him or maybe I'll get the recognition, but I won't be able to have the conversation where he like <laughs> shows me he cares. It's like, that's the stuff after thousands of years of life that Baez is obsessed with is just his own, like, so, you know, we call Jazal a narcissist. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Baez has had thousands of years to work through his own <laughs> issues around narcissism and has not gotten. No, I think he's been canceling his appointments with his uh, therapist. <laughs> Yeah, he thinks he's got it all figured out for sure, um, yeah. and yeah, I mean those con- these moments afterwards, after he just completely annihilates the square of marshals, and he shows this callous disregard for all of the wounded on both sides, like the Union wounded and this spreading, wasting illness that he has inflicted through his magic. He fell entire buildings that people were taking shelter in, you know, like all of these horrible, horrible things. And not to mention Pharaoh as well, getting affected by the seed, which you could argue by as probably recognized as something that could happen. Like, hey, she may, something might go on in her brain where now she's like touched by the other side and like she's going to be hearing voices from the other side her whole life but i don't care <laughs> like, i just need her to use the seed she's a conduit in which i can use one of the three magic powers that i need to use and that's all become so apparent in these in these last moments and you're like wow Baez really he caused all this devastation and like affected all of these people he you know wes we know r.i.p wes falling victim to this wasting illness how many side characters died in the in this battle um pharaoh getting forever kind of corrupted in some way i guess a, a bit she you know she's irrevocably changed and it's all just so bias can be more powerful than juvens like that's where we're at with all of this Mm -hmm. this whole society forever changed you know an age ends because bias wanted to be more powerful than juvens and in his squabble with kalul and aos himself and aos himself can't forget aos himself (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's all been about these motivations to it's basically he's got this like sibling rivalry with Kalul that yes. is playing out at this just massive stage. And they're both such, I, I mean, I imagine Kalul, we haven't seen a lot of Kalul here. And I I imagine is also probably pretty small and petty from what we've heard from Kalil. And these two are just going at each other yes. in a way that if they were just normal people, would be so just like, oh my God, like, stop, you two are so (laughs) annoying. But instead, it's like, oh, you two are causing massive scale war and death because, like, you can't get over this silly little feud. Yeah, your petty rivalry is playing out over two civilizations, you know? It's just a tool for you guys to try and one-up each other. Which is like the cruel yep. joke of everyone that lives in those societies, right? Where it's like you're just the whim of a character like Bias, who just wants to be more powerful than Juvens and Aos himself. <laughs> yes. Which, you know, brings in some... Now that that scene has happened, we get like... That was kind of like the rising action of the whole trilogy. And now you get these like final moments with each the, character. The climax, Charles. Yes. I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. And 
Baez kind of gets his moment with all of these main characters and all these main characters kind of have to be like, what? Well, this isn't that great of an like situation, you know? And some of my favorite lines are dropped by Baez at the end of this. And, um, you know, he's talking to Pharaoh, I think. And it was this idea of using the first law. And um, like you said, it was like against the, you know, against the rules of magic to break the first law. And he's like, the first law rules are for children. This is war. And in war, the only crime is to lose, <laughs> which is like, yes, explains all of his behavior. He's like, I will use power from the other side through the seed no question because i don't want to lose my battles with kalul like that's the only law that's the only crime like i can level entire cities i can spread this wasting disease i can do all these horrible things but really the only crime would be is if kalul's eaters had killed me <laughs> like that, that's, that's like losing this battle was the only thing i couldn't do and i'll do anything it takes to make that not happen exactly and i mean it it lends itself well charles to when we when we flesh out more this is is by as worse than kalul yes. conversation so i'm excited when we get there because I, I think the first there. law and the second law those play a, a very big role in that conversation but i i guess next up that we want to make make sure we talk about is that interaction with Baez and Glockta yeah. and basically Glockta just goes back to his quarters and someone's waiting for him and it he wants to know if it's valid or bulk and it turns out it's both <laughs> because it's Baez <laughs> and <laughs> which is by the way that's such an epic yeah. line I feel yeah. like where he's like <laughs> is it uh, is it Valen or Bulk I'm talking to? <laughs> and Pies is like both. Yeah, it's like, great. Yep. Because <laughs> this bank has been built up. The entire trilogy is like this other bank, force that's pulling so many strings. <laughs> and it's like, to the money well, of, of yeah. <laughs> and it's such a great play from Abercrombie and through Abercrombie or through, oh, and Abercrombie through Baez to have it be like, two names because yeah. like it's like valent and bulk so you just at least in your head you're like it's two people yeah and it's like oh no it's like, like putting it's all on me. the wizard costume to adjust the close council it's like this is what people need to see to buy into it and like right. that's what we'll go with you know it's such a brilliant thing it's like yeah valent and bulk you know it sounds like a bank <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's like yeah i feel like banks usually it's like someone is on so why not so yeah and Baez revels in revealing just oh, everything yeah. that he's been doing behind the scenes. I mean, it's so good. This is part of Abercrombie's great character work is that we buy this interaction so well between Galacta and Baez, where it's like we buy that Galacta is someone that Baez would see as possible to like can possibly understand everything Baez has been up to from the political machination standpoint. Mm -hmm. And we buy at this point for sure that Baez is narcissistic enough to just go on and on and on about everything that he's done. So we actually get probably like the most natural equivalent of this like James Bond villain yeah. speech where it's like in James Bond villains, it always feels like so forced. Cause it's like, why are you telling James Bond all of your plans right now? But for Baez, it's like, we know totally why he's telling 
blocked all of his plans because he wants to be validated. He's such a petty person. Yes, he just wants to brag, and Glockta legit calls him out on it, too, which is amazing. Yeah, and, I mean, the descriptions of those scenes are so great, because Baez is, like, grinning ear to ear, you know? He's just so happy with himself. Like, he's never been more content than after that whole greater than Juvent's whirlwind of destruction. Right. He's, he's just glowing the rest yeah. of the way. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh. Yeah, I mean, and, and we get pretty much from there on, we just get left with Glockta in charge of Jazal, and then Baez from afar in charge of Glockta, and that's that's pretty much where we're left, right? We get these kind of moments with Glockta and Jazal where Jazal's like, uh, like, can we try this? nice thing i want to try um, democracy and he's like no yeah <laughs> is it no point exactly and, and you know Baez reveals the truth about his like parentage it's like you weren't oh, really yeah. a, like why would you why would you think you were the bastard of a king is like no i bought you and i bought like a million other kids like you and you were just the one that like was rising to the top and i chose you out of all the others i had planned just in case you know like it was exactly you get the sense of exactly how much this is Baez's world, which not obvious at all in the beginning. He's not even a POV character. And then by the in like the last 20 percent of this book, you're like, this is all Baez's world. You can boil it down to Baez and Kalul and their conflict. And that's everything. Right. And no one else had any kind of agency over it it's like i just made you do what i wanted you to do and that's kind of like this cruel joke of the first law it's like all these characters and all their like motivations is takes a backseat to the whims of bias well said charles and i've heard joe abercrombie himself refer to uh, i'm gonna say himself again joe abercrombie referred to himself as the bias of the first law world. Yeah. I think he referred to himself that way on Daniel Green's interview with Abercrombie. So he probably gets enjoyment yeah. out of controlling what bias does. <laughs> it's like, I'm more powerful than bias. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's hilarious. So bias, yeah, been been controlling everything behind the scenes, and we get this. That moment is so interesting. Again, Abercrombie playing on our expectations of Jazal as this bastard son that gets to rise to being king because we've seen that so much in fantasy that, oh yeah, of course, yeah. like here we go again. And then turns out that, no, he's just another person that Baez set up for this as a potential path and we get a shout out to Brent, I think. Yeah, we do. As another person that Baez was considering prepping for this when he was just spreading all of these kids out into the world right. to have a shot of being the eventual king. Right. And it's such a great choice by Abercrombie, I think, because Brent is like this, like, oh, yeah, I remember Brent. It's like, <laughs> oh, that guy? Like, what? He could have been the king? Back when in they a were different... playing cards in the beginning of the first yes. book. Yeah. <laughs> So just some random side character, and it gives you a sense of how 
there's probably so many folks who did, weren't even that prominent to register on our radar as readers that Baez could have chosen, and that's and he probably thinks of them just as kindly as he does of Giselle, you know they're like <laughs> which is not which is at not all, at all. <laughs> <laughs> even though he went on all these adventures with Giselle and they have this history doesn't he's not interested at all no does not matter to Baez well Charles I feel like the, the last bit that we actually have to discuss unless you've got more like no, plot events you want to talk about is this is this Kalul Baez bit I feel like you know, the series is called the first law series. And that's always made me feel like looking back at it, that it's about, it's about bias. The first law series is about bias and what bias does to the, like to the idea of this first law. And, and so the first law is like meaning the literal law in the story is it is forbidden to touch the other side direct forbidden to communicate with the world below forbidden to summon demons forbidden to open gates to hell and then there's the second law which is it is forbidden to eat the flesh of men and from the start the way that Kalul is pitched as this awful person seems to be that he's broken the second law. Yes. Uh, Baez is so quick to jump to like, look at these eaters. And of course we can jump on and say, well, that's horrible. That's disgusting yeah. that he's doing that. Yeah. Any magic that you have to resort to cannibalism to use. And like you're talking, like that's not a hard sell as being evil. It's like, okay, they're the bad guys because they're eating people. Like Baez is not eating people. So right. it's easy to see him as, like the wizard on our quest, you know, versus the big bad who's raising this giant army, propping himself up as a god or propping the emperor up as a god and then having his most trusted people like breaking the second law. You know, they broke the law. It's horrible. How could they? You know, that's kind of the exactly. whole campaign and that Baez has been on. If nothing else, we as readers initially think, well, at least Baez isn't breaking these laws like mm-hmm. there's some sort of sense that this guy has a moral compass and even if we're getting a little alarmed at times we're like at least he's got to be the lesser evil than Kalul. of course that all comes to a head when we find out that uh, i mean well it starts with Baez just breaking the first law and right. he breaks it in many ways at the end including like even just the use of the seed or considering the use of the seed uh, we've had these ideas that he was at least flirting with it we've had people tell him like don't get the seed you shouldn't be doing that and by kind of like eh, you know there's some contradictions here but it's just i don't know like, if this is really these guys the are doing law. something much worse this is the only tool we have to get the job done you know that's what he's telling everybody yeah and it's kind of this i think he's criticized in some ways of like Kalul breaks the second law, so you break the first? Like, what are you doing, Baez? And he's like, look, it's come to this, and we got to fight fire with fire. So he does break the first law, as kind of indicated he might. And then what's super interesting, where maybe at that point we can justify, well, okay, Baez broke the first law, and then Kalul, or before that, Kalul broke the second law. Maybe even like Kalul started it by breaking the second law. So maybe Kalul is worse, we Mm -hmm. think. 
But the reveal later is that Bias has been breaking the second law too. <laughs> he has had Sulfur be an eater for him. Yeah. So even possibly before, or at least like not necessarily later than Kalul, Bias had no problems breaking the second law. That was all part of his narrative, narrative yeah. about why Kalul is so awful. And then Bias went on to go the next step of breaking the first law in addition to the second law just to get ahead of Kalul. Yeah. And I think that's your case for how Bias might... We don't know a lot about Kalul, uh, but that's your case for how Bias might be worse than Kalul. So he's broken two laws, <laughs> and Kalul's only broken yeah. one that we Yeah, know. it's hard to imagine Bias being better than anybody. He's either right. worse or just as bad. And <laughs> I think an, well an important thing was when he was justifying the use of the seed as a defense against Kalul. But... Mm. That was his justification. Like, oh, I have to because Kalul's put me in this position where I have to defend the good in the world. Yes. Where it's he's reacting. Yeah, he's reacting exactly right. But again, that he's been plotting this whole thing this whole time <laughs> to be more powerful than Juvens. That's his only motivating factor. We know it is revealed that Baez had nothing but contempt for Juvens. Like, Juvens had all this power and he just chose to be a nice guy. <laughs> oh, there's a great quote. You want to drop it? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> he says, Juvens, ha! He thought to make the world a better place with smiles and good intentions. Good intentions get you nothing and the world does not improve without a fight. I say I killed no one. <laughs> Dude. It's like so we've drawn the parallel of Juvens and Gandalf a whole lot and and that line really hits home of like Baez was watching basically Gandalf, you know, making merry with all the people in the world and using his magic for good and being a good guy and being annoyed that this is the guy that's always going to be his master, you know, and that made Baez so angry and made Baez want to overthrow him and that's how you like, something happened that shouldn't we live in this bizarro world where Juvens is dead and Baez is channeling all these different forms of magic, breaking all of these laws of magic to be more powerful than Eos himself, even. Which, hard to imagine that <laughs> Kalul's doing anything worse. My theory, you know, again, we don't know anything about Kalul, and I've only read these books and one of the standalones, which doesn't mention Kalul at all. My theory is that they're both equally bad you know it, they're like the same they're at the same level they both understand the game that they're playing right it's like we say these things and we react in these ways but we both know that we're just trying to be the most powerful one and whatever that takes is what we're going to do we just need to ride the wave of cultural per perception and like how we influence others in doing that might involve weaving narratives where it's like the eaters were like oh bias is a liar he lied about mm -hmm. Ptolemy. It's like, that's true. And that just happened to conveniently fit with, you know, um, uh, Kalul, thank you, Kalul's agenda. So I think the two of them are just equally bad. And, and that's kind of the cruel joke of the first law. There is no like good and evil. It's just two bickering, petty people <laughs> with too much power. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I, I will say that it's I think it's probably best stated what you, what you said before when you were saying that it's hard to imagine anyone worse than bias yeah. and 
our our case is that at the very least it's likely that Kalul is equal of badness <laughs> with yeah. bias and maybe he's better because from what we can gather he's not broken the first law at least to this point that's true kind of if you think i mean yeah. if breaking yeah. the first law or not gives you morality points i suppose he does eat people um but bias wouldn't mind do it i'm he hasn't, but as far as we oh know, yeah, like I, I'd, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. I wouldn't doubt. I don't think he'd look twice if it was the means to an end that he wanted. Um, right. There, there's another great line from uh, the Book of Bias here. All of his isms, his philosophy. Uh, People like to watch the pretty puppet superior. Even a glimpse of the puppet can be most upsetting for them. Why they might even suddenly notice the, the strings puppet. around their own wrists. It's like, this is the mind of the guy we've been with since book one. This is how he views people, cattle, puppets. You know, he's pulling all the strings, so to say. And right. it's just like the the biggest reveal of this whole book is the nature of this whole book, which is it's the whims of bias. <laughs> Crazy. Mm, the whims of bias. Charles, I was thinking when you are talking about before that this idea of a short story of like bias young bias perspective looking on at the actions of juvens <laughs> would be so interesting yeah. like i just want to get that perspective it's not something that is in sharp ends but it feels like the kind of thing that would be a story in sharp ends which is the that's the short story collection is there a bias story in there a pov bias no, there's no POV by I I don't know. It, well, I don't want to say what does or doesn't come, but I'll say the, in sharp ends there is no bias POV. Uh. But it would be beautiful. We do get POVs from interesting folks that we don't get otherwise. Um, there is a I don't think it's a spoiler to just say how one of the stories starts, like whose POV it yeah, is. I don't think that's we get a Bethod POV, oh, which is interesting. That is interesting. We get yeah. We actually get a ruse POV <laughs> of Glo- young Glockta. Like ah. we get to see young Glockta when he was Colonel Glockta through the eyes of Salem Ruse <laughs> uh, as a soldier in the army. It's very interesting. West is in that one too. So it's like, I don't know. We get some of these different perspectives of the world at different time points. And I just feel like, I don't know. I wonder if Abercrombie... I get this sense that Abercrombie is would be hesitant to ever give a bias POV because the whole like then you're you're gonna get a glimpse of the puppeteer. Charles. Yeah, exactly. And exactly, you, you and don't, we don't want that. Yeah, because I feel like information about bias is so valuable because yes. it's so critical to this entire like multi-book thing that he's building where you got to keep those cards a little bit closer to the vest i think (laughs) Mm -hmm. well said charles Uh, but i feel like we've pretty much uh, laid all our cards out on the table (laughs) when it comes to bias here because i i i mean we're we're getting close like an hour and 20 minutes now uh (laughs) charles over here and i know we're like yeah maybe we can keep under an hour but there's just so much to say that's awesome you can't get us started with first law we'll never stop (laughs) and there's so much complexity going on with bias and bias has such a complex interaction with 
almost every character in the series that's like to get to it from start to finish is a big task. Um, mm-hmm. And once you've got a task to do, Charles, better do it than live with the fear of it. And I feel we've done it. I would agree. I feel like we have done it as well. Um, I don't think there's anything left to do but play that sweet, sweet outro music. Play that sweet, sweet outro music, Charles. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. This has been your co-hosts, Charles and Dylan. If you like what you heard today and you want to support the show, we'd love for some interaction over on Twitter. That's at the FTF podcast with a number one at the end. We are also on Instagram and Facebook at the FTF podcast. You can always shoot us an email as well. Get in touch with us directly at the FTF podcast at gmail.com. Touch the other side direct. That's right. And that's a law you can break anytime. And uh, what else we got going on? Yeah, so if you're listening and you want to support the show and you just happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, Dylan, what kind of option do they have before they Toss five stars to our podcast. (laughs) All you have to do is find our podcast on Apple Podcast app and scroll down until you start seeing stars. Once you're seeing stars, we would love if you clicked five of them. Uh, If you do have a little extra time, then writing a review is super duper helpful for a podcast like ours uh but just listening y'all that is more than enough thank you so much thank you all so much for listening we greatly appreciate it and as always go forth and conquer friends